you take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And while you're turning, I make a couple announcements just um, to remind you of some things that are happening around here. We're having the fall festival, the family fall, fall family fun day, I think as we call it. And uh, it's right here on our grounds, and there's plenty of sign-ups for you out back. Things I see so many of you signing up to work that day and also to bring things. I already see Cokes and Sprites and, and waters piling up back there. We need candy. If you want to just buy some candy and bring it by this week, and if, if, if no one's here, uh, you can just leave it under the covered uh, porch out front. Uh, Friday, uh, I, we would encourage you to bring the, the pre-bought, already-made um, like at Walmart or one of the delis, cupcakes, because we have a cakewalk and we give cupcakes away, and you need to pre-buy those so they're packaged so people aren't real uh, worried about where they came from and what all's been done to them, that kind of thing. We're in a hyper-germophobic uh, world these days. But anyway, um, go buy those and bring them fr uh, Friday. Anytime before 5 o'clock, people will be here. If you can't make it by 5, you know, just place them again under that covered porch and, and someone will get them and put them inside. Thank you for your participation in that. So, and then I had several people ask if you have pledge cards, which we spoke about last week, to towards the building uh, fund. Just place those in the back in the offering box with your offering and they'll be picked up and, and, and counted among that. Uh, so those are the two announcements I wanted to make, just so we don't have to do that at the end and uh, we can concentrate now fully on what God has to say through his word. We bring, I bring to you a message from Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, and the title of the message is, Wives Present the Gospel Through Submission. Wives, direct address, present the gospel through submission. And, um, and I know, as, even as we open up this morning, begin to uh, talk about this, I know there's already in some of you a bitterness towards these verses, because in the past, maybe you've heard them as uh, someone lording over you, someone forcing you towards something, and maybe even abusing you with these verses, okay, and presenting a, an unbiblical characterization of what Paul says in these verses. I, I can tell you this, my heart is not to do that, but I also know that I myself am sinful. And that maybe I do not fully understand these verses. I readily confess that though I have spent hours and hours, not only now, but in marriage counseling, in pre-marriage counseling, for now over 13 years studying this passage, thinking about this passage. And so all I say may not be purified and perfect, but I believe the intent is, and I believe that if you follow the scripture here, that you will be honoring God, you will be glorifying God, ladies, by your action. You will be bringing great glory to His name. We live in a world where feminism, not feminine, but feminism has been uh, shoved down our throat for the last 40 years. It has some strange and uncalculated effects. I do not think everybody who's bought into the feminist movement even understands what they're doing to our culture, okay? I don't, in other words, they, they are wrong and they are sinful, but I don't know that their intent was to do everything they've done. Because let me tell you an unintended, what I think to be an unintended effect 
of the feminist movement. So you see how deep this runs. That one of the unintended effects is high and uncontrolled anxiety in women. High and uncontrolled anxiety in women. Now, feminists would repel at that. They'd say women are anxious because of the male-dominated, chauvinistic world that's been shoved on them. But actually, if you look at it, anxiety and depression has risen among women in the last 40 years, not decreased. What was supposed to be freedom has become repression. That's an unintended effect. Nobody at Cal Berkeley sat down and wrote a textbook thinking, how can we make women increasingly unhappy, increasingly depressed, increasingly frustrated with their lives? How can we do that? Let's come up with a text for that. I'm not saying they did that on purpose. I'm telling you that because the biblical structure has been cast off, the freedom that comes with the biblical structure has been cast off and it's been replaced by slavery and it's been replaced by fear and it's been replaced by anxiety and it's been replaced by frustration. And many of the women, in, they're not nodding because they don't want to be singled out, but many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Another unintended, I believe, unintended effect is that men in our society, have become increasingly feminine. Little boys are becoming more and more sissified. Let me put it that way. Feminine. Now, let me tell you what I don't mean. What I don't mean is that if your son has a desire to be an artist, and loves the color, that he's feminine. That's not at all masculinity or femininity. That's the desire. That's a preference. Nothing wrong with that. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. These external things not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that what's happened to men, young men especially, boys in our society, is they have become increasingly uncertain and unsure, and they've become less and less true leaders in our society. They have backpedaled from leadership. Why? Because they've been told to lead is chauvinistic. To assert yourself in a situation and to bring good to a situation is male pride. So choke that back at all cost. They've been told that because they're not as emotional as women, they're sinful. When the Bible actually teaches just the opposite. That it's not sinful to be emotional, nor is it sinful to be more stoic and more reserved. Neither is sinful. These are some unintended effects. And there are hundreds and hundreds of seen and unseen effects in our society because the passage we're covering, both today and in the weeks to come, has been thrown off. It's been rejected. Okay? So... Please hear me when I say, what we're doing in the next few weeks is gospel work. How? Because God has set up, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, He has set up 
for all time that your marriage portrays the picture of the gospel to the world. What's at stake more than than taking back the society from a feminist agenda, more than rescuing our little boys from uh, trepidation and fear and over-emotionalism, more than rescuing our women from fear and anxiety and depression, what really needs to be done is marriages need to be saved. Christian marriages need to be reclaimed as centers for preaching the gospel. That's what needs to happen. And that can only happen by turning to the Scriptures. That can't happen any other way. And so men, please, today, open your heart and mind to what's being said. Women, open your heart and your mind to what is being taught from God's Word. Don't just reject it as hard. It's going to be hard. Don't just reject it because it sounds different from what you personally think or you've been taught. Don't just reject it. Open your heart and mind to it. Take it in and let it sit with you. Let it steep in your mind. Let it grow. Research it from the Scriptures on your own. But please don't just reject it. Let's read the passage. And what I want to do is read the entire passage. And then we're going to focus on verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now remember, we we taught verse 21 last week. Okay? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I told you, the roles inside of marriage are playing out submission. Both of them are. Both are. Men, you are to submit to your wives through the Lord Jesus Christ. And men, you are to submit to your children through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. And women, likewise. Okay, so now he's becoming specific. He had a general call to submission. All Christians are submit to all other Christians. Now he's becoming specific inside the home. Hey, this is how this practically works. That's what Paul's saying. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying, notice, I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is an interesting structure. Because what we find after detailing specific roles inside your marriage is Paul returns to the gospel. This mystery is profound 
And I'm telling you it refers to Christ and the church. That's not a bait and switch. That's the essence of what he's teaching. The essence, the root, the depth of what he's teaching is the gospel. He is saying, I believe he is saying, you cannot believe nor preach the gospel unless you structure your marriage and your family to reflect the gospel. You don't really believe the gospel, husbands, if you don't follow this passage. You don't really believe the gospel, women, if you reject your role as a wife. He is not saying that Christ and the church are the picture and we're to try to be like Christ in the church. That's not what he's saying. That's the mistake most people make in most Christian bookstores. You go pick a book up on this pastor's commentary, that's a big mistake that's made. It's a widespread mistake is that Jesus and the church are the picture that we look at and we see how we're to live. No. No. Christ and the church relate to one another perfectly. But you can't see outwardly the way they relate to one another. So God, being a good teacher and a parable teacher, says your marriage is what the world looks at to see Christ in the church. The lost world, Christian, is looking at you. And they are either rejecting or accepting Christ a lot of times based on your marriage relationship. So you reject this and then go preach the gospel to your neighbor. You reject submission, women, and go preach the gospel to your neighbor. Do not be surprised when they say, if being a Christian, whether they say it in this short of fashion or a roundabout way, if being a Christian means I treat my husband the way you treat your husband, I don't want to be a Christian. Men, reject what Paul says to you about being a husband. And then don't be surprised when your co-workers mock you about your church attendance and all your praying and all that. Don't be surprised. They are looking at your marriage and making a call on the gospel. This is not secondary, in other words. Marriages are not secondary. This is primary work. This is foundational work. This is the platform. Your marriage is the platform from which you will either minister the gospel to the world or you will deny the gospel and the world will mock you. That's what we're talking about. That's the grave nature of this passage. And to flip it around and say, well, all you're supposed to do is strive to be like Jesus and strive to be like the church. That means you can't do it. And the Bible never lets us off the hook. Paul doesn't let, all, let us off the hook. He says the Spirit of God is in you, men. So be as Christ is to the church, to your wife. It is a command. Women, the Spirit of God resides in you. Be like the church to her husband, Christ. Don't try to be, be. We're too fast to dismiss these passages as a wishful hope of some future attainment. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying one day maybe you'll be like Christ. Maybe you'll be like church. No, he's saying you are picturing at this moment, this morning, when you got up out of the bed and began to fuss and holler and scream at your wife and your children about getting to church on time, you witnessed to them the gospel or you denied the gospel. 
when you demanded as a tyrant certain unreasonable standards for your wife in practical living, you either denied or, or professed the gospel. That's what he's saying. So listen, this is not some pie in the sky. Everybody try to be better. The gospel has made you better. The gospel has empowered you through the Holy Spirit. So live. That's the flow. That's the ethical flow. Out of the theology comes this ethical living that just happens. It comes out. It is fruit on a good tree. Let's look at this passage. In specifics, verse 22 through 24. Wives, first of all, must respect and willingly submit to their husbands. I see it in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 24. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 33. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the wife, first of all, must respect and submit to her husband, to their own husbands. This is, this is, again, not contingent on his actions nor his attitude. So, well, if my husband acted more like Jesus, I'd submit to him. And the Bible, in Peter specifically, says, if you'd act out the gospel towards your husband, he might be more like Jesus. That's exactly what he says. How do you know that your lost husband won't be won to the gospel by your quiet, humble submission? So don't wait around, women, until you got a perfect husband and then you're going to be the perfect wife. Go ahead and get started today. Submit to them. Well, he doesn't deserve my respect. Nothing in here about deserving. Not one word in here about when he deserves it, respect him. When he doesn't, disrespect him. No. Wives, respect your husband. That's the command. That's the truth. It's not a question. It's not a request. It's a demand of the gospel. It's not of Paul. It is of the gospel. Now, how do we do that, ladies? How, how do you show submission and willing, willing submission and respect to your husband? Well, first of all, you must acknowledge you must acknowledge submission and respect. You must say to yourself, I will submit to my husband and I will respect him. Because mentally and heartfelt, if you don't do it, it will always come out. The first step to a change towards the biblical attitude of marriage is to acknowledge that there has to be a change. For some of you, that's going to mean when you get alone today after lunch and your children are napping or playing or whatever, it's going to mean, women, for you to look at your husband and admit and confess to him, I have never respected you, nor have I ever submitted to your leadership, and I repent of that. That simple acknowledgement may begin to revolutionize your marriage. Because that man who's sitting in the reality that his wife, he already knows you don't respect him, by the way. You don't have to tell him, I don't respect you. He sees it in your face every time he speaks. He hears it in your words when you're speaking to others. He sees it in the fact that when he leaves home, everything is done that he says don't do, and everything that he asks you to do, you do not do. 
It becomes almost intentional so that he knows you don't respect. It's shown by the fact that you're not patient in the financial decisions. You're not patient. You're fretting over finances and you run to provide for yourself. And he automatically takes, you say, well, that's not what I'm doing. Yes, it is. He sees that and says, she doesn't respect me. She does, she's not loving me. Love is communicated to a man through respect. When you run ahead of him and make these big decisions without him, you don't have to say, I don't respect you. He gets it. He sees it. So let me tell you, you're not going to tell him something revolutionary today if you confess your lack of respect for him or submission. He's not going to say, well, I never knew that. He's going to say, whoa, something's happened. This is different. First step is acknowledging it, but acknowledging it isn't enough. You then must do. You must respect. It's simple. Follow. Disciple. Disciple means to follow. So as a disciple of Christ, you not only acknowledge that this is your role, but you then begin to live it out. You begin to just do it on a practical, reasonable level. We're going to become very specific towards the end of the sermon. But I, I just want to say to you, if every time there's a major decision to make, ladies, in your home and your husband weighs in on that, he's not always right, but you automatically assume he's wrong. Just from the beginning, you just, everything he says, you just put it to the side and go ask somebody else for their advice. You're not living this out at all. How does it happen? Two spheres in a woman's life tell how she is submitted to her husband. Two. You get, get this. How she lives with her friends and how she lives with her family, her nucleus family. If, ladies, every time there's an important decision to make, you run to your friends to get their advice over your husband's, you've said all that needs to be said. That doesn't mean you can't have friends, you can't talk to them. It means the priority is your husband. It's his godly advice. Friends are included, but not first line. Secondly, is how particularly I see it with women and their dads. First major decision's coming up, trying to buy a house. Husband comes home from work, walks in, he hears you talking on the phone to somebody about the decision about whether to buy the house or not. He listens quietly as you systematically undermine everything about his leadership by asking your dad to give his blessing to you. I'll follow him, dad, basically, if you tell me to. That's, that is not, that is the opposite of submission and respect. We're going to talk about what specifically submission and respect. I'm just giving you some practical hands-on conversations you've probably had. So listen, you can come to church and you can say, I do these things, I love my husband, I respect him, I submit to him, but your actions, your fellowship will tell whether or not you do. Acknowledge it, these roles, follow these roles, and then respect, simply put, respect your husband. Unless he is sinning against God, respect your husband. 
You're never wrong to do that. Never. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't make me happy. Well, I'm going to say this to the men next week. I'm going to say it to the ladies today. God is very little worried about your happiness or the way you feel. So I'm not happy in my marriage. I don't mean this harshly, but I mean it biblically. There's more important things than your happiness. Much bigger things on the line than whether you like or don't like what he's telling you. The gospel's on the line, ladies. The question needs to be simply this. Simply put, am I preaching the gospel? Am I witnessing to the glory of God in his church by this action? No, I'm not? Then don't do it. Don't do it. It doesn't make me happy? It doesn't matter. God is not ultimately worried about your happiness nor your feelings, but rather witnessing his glory through your marriage. Preaching the gospel, the saving word of the gospel through your marriage. I had a friend that called me. He'd been married about two years, and he was about to get a divorce. He called me. It's like last-ditch effort, you know. Called a friend from high school that's a preacher. And his reasoning for the divorce was this. I'm just not happy. So I didn't answer his question. I asked him another question. I said, are you in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? We talked about that. I said, your shepherd, your great shepherd, really doesn't care at this moment about you being happy. What he wants the world to see is that in good and bad, you will cling to your wife. That's what he wants to see. Well, you just don't understand what I endure every day. I know I don't. But you see, you've been saved by one who was persecuted by his church and hated by the people who later would be saved by him. So your call is to love her even if she persecutes you, even if she reviles and hates you. Keep serving your wife. They've been married now for 10 years. Is their marriage happy? Some days, but probably more days than not, no. Is their marriage preaching the gospel? I don't live near them, but their marriage preaches the gospel to me. Because I know how unhappy he was at that moment, and I know that he willfully chose to love her anyway. And he, he witnessed that by staying married. Acknowledge, be a disciple, follow, and respect. What does it practically mean then to submit? What, what are the, that's what you want to know, right? What are the things? I don't want to give you a to-do list, but I do want to make it as practical as possible. First of all, it means making your home a safe place for your husband. When your husband comes home and he has been abused and beaten by his boss and his employees all day, 
the last thing he needs from you is a more abuse and more disrespect. That's the last thing he needs. So let's just say our home is a safe place. When you come in here, you're my husband and I love you. Proverbs 31, 11 through 12, tell us this biblically. The, husband's, the husband in the passage feels the safety of his home because she submits to his authority, and when he's gone, she's prepping the home for his return, and when he returns, he says about her, my heart safely trusts her. In other words, I can come home from a long day, and I can sit down with my wife, and I ought to be able to say, I failed. This way and that way and this way. And instead of getting beat up on, what I should receive is the gospel. Is that not, not, no, honey, you didn't fail. That's a lie. He just said he failed. So, yes, honey, you failed in that. But listen, God is greater than your failure. And at the end of the day, I love you. And I know you failed in that way, but tomorrow's going to be a better day. Tomorrow's going to be a different day. That boss that's riding you so hard, he may ride you harder tomorrow, but you're going to be, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to spend my day tomorrow on my knees before the Father for you so you can endure. And then when he, you see how safe that is? He can, uh, he can undress, in a sense, spiritually and emotionally before you and not worry that you're going to laugh at him or strike him or add to the heat of disappointment and failure. It means making your home safe. It means being trustworthy and dependable. You will never understand, ladies, how much it ministers to your husband for him to mention something, not as a command, but as something he would like to see and for him to come home and it be done. Or in a, if it takes time, you know, you spend the time and it's done. He looks around. The Proverbs 31 woman did this. This is who she was. He set goals and aspirations for the home, and she implemented them. She did them. So that he came home and said, this home is a safe place for me, and my wife respects me. She, I can trust her. She is dependable. It means that when he lays out a budget, you don't continually come to him with how you've exceeded the budget. He set the financial course, and you continually erode that by going out and just spending. Well, I wanted our kids to have this. I know, but you saw we were at zero in this budget right here. And I'm not being hard, but we only have so many dollars at the end of the month. In other words, he can trust that you are dependable to know where the limit is and to stay within the limit. Not because he's a tyrant, but because you know this home works best when we operate this way. That's practical submission. Denying your wants. Denying the wants of your own children to follow his leadership. Thirdly, it means having a good attitude. Proverbs, take, take, take your Bible and turn to Proverbs 31 because I think this one is easily overlooked. Proverbs 31, it's kind of embedded in there in several places, her attitude towards her husband and towards her work and towards her home. Look at verse 26. 
She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Why? Because she is trustworthy and dependable, right? Because she has the attitude to go along with the actions. She displays the gospel not by her just her outward words, but her words are included. In both action and in words, she is preaching the gospel daily by her activity. It means being open and honest in a loving way. Ephesians 4 verse 25 is where I see this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. If you're not the neighbor of your husband, who are you the neighbor of? Ladies, so you're to speak the truth, not falsehood, but to do it in the spirit of love. That means when you see him sinning, you respectfully and lovingly rebuke him for his sin. Yes, rebuke. He's your Christian brother also, and you're not to let him go on sinning. So when you see a sin, you don't go about making jokes about his temper. You don't go about making jokes about his lack of spiritual leadership in your home. But rather you go to him lovingly and say, we need your leadership. Our children and, and myself, we need you to pick up God's word. We need to see you pray. This is a gentle and loving and kind rebuke. That's not out of bounds in, from the woman who's submissive. That's part of her role. She is, makes the home safe. She's trustworthy and dependable. She carries a good attitude about her work. She's open and honest. There's nothing worse than a man hearing the truth from, his, from your friends, ladies. Nothing worse. Nothing worse than y'all being mixed company and your, your friends start laughing about something you've told them about your husband and you haven't even told him. That's dishonest. Five, it means being content in position and possession. Be content. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Famously quoted, keep the marriage bed undefiled. How do you do that? Be content, verse 5, with what you have been given. Listen, again, when every paycheck that comes home, you have a snide comment about how little there is, that is not respect. He already knows how many zeros are in his check. He doesn't need you to count them. And he knows if things are falling a little short, he knows it already. The last thing he needs is for you to add to that. What he needs is a wife that is content, that isn't, al that isn't always trying to keep up with her friend's new homes and her friend's new clothes and her friend's new cars. 
even though she knows that's not the lot that God has given her in life. I never will forget one of the greatest old couples in our church, the Shermans. They were like, he was like a spiritual granddad to me. He fought in World War II. I thought he was the greatest dude to ever live. He was a man's man. And I remember him talking about Martha, his wife, in this respect. He said, look, Martha knew when she married me, she married a carpenter. Not a contractor. That was his way of putting it. I don't have what my boss has. I have what God's given me. And Martha has always known that. And what he meant by that, if you knew them, was the house they lived in, it was a simple, simple home. But it was beautiful. The house they lived in wasn't much, but it was all it could be. The food they ate was not steaks and wine every night, but it was homemade cornbread, beans, and some roast. And she made it the very best it could be. Her clothes were not homemade, nor were they the top name brand. They were the exact clothes they could afford and that were within their budget. And he said, that was his testimony to me before I got married, was, son, you want your wife to always know that who she's marrying. Tell her, I'm not going to be all these things. If that's what you're looking for, you're not going to be happy without it. I'm the wrong guy for you. And it also meant the Marthas of the world telling our young ladies at the church, whatever he brings home, it's enough because it's what God has blessed you with. Now support him by living in it. That's a beautiful thing. That's what submission means. Being content. Not grumbling and complaining about all that is done. But in position. Not always wanting him to be more educated. Be in a higher position at work. But being content with where he is. If he's a carpenter, he's a carpenter. Love him as a carpenter. And respect him for it. And in possessions. It means being forgiving towards your husband. Colossians chapter 3, Paul, very quickly, Paul says, put on, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What do I mean by forgiving? I mean simply that. Forgive your husband. Some of you need to forgive your husband today. Very practically, you know. He's hurt you and you've held a grudge. Some of you have been holding a grudge for weeks and months and even years. And you wonder why your marriage and your intimacy in your marriage is being eroded. It's because you haven't practiced forgiving one another. So, women, forgive him. When he sins, preach the gospel. Live the gospel. How many times do I have to forgive my husband? As many times as Christ has forgiven you. Or as Jesus said to the question, should I forgive seven times? What did he say? Seventy times seven times. What did he mean? Infinitely. Forgive. Forgive. That's why... I've never yet met a case where divorce was necessary for Christian couples. It happens to Christian couples, 
but it is not necessary. It is not necessary. Why? Because two Christians living as two Christians should be forgiving one another infinitely. Therefore, there's no need for it. Does it happen? Absolutely. Can it be forgiven? Yes. But by living out our call as wives, and later we'll see as husbands, we can avoid it. Seventh, it means being industrious. Psalm 128.3 says, The wife is like a luxurious vine. Always like Hebrew expressions. They, they, they're, they're to the point, but without the lust. A luxurious vine. Think about that. A vine that produces. A, vine, a great vine hanging on the vineyard that is just filled with grapes. That's what a good wife is. A godly wife is filled with that. Proverbs 31, we see this woman working, using her own abilities to help the home. Whether it be by homemaking, through cutting corners and saving, by making instead of buying, whether it be learning to cook so you don't have to order out all the time, or if it means using a skill you have from your home or outside of your home to help bring in the funds necessary for your home. Whatever it means under his leadership, being, being industrious, it means offering suggestions and advice and opinions. Telling the truth again. It means being inwardly beautiful. I could preach a whole message here, but first of all, inward beauty does not negate outward beauty. I've run, that may not mean anything to you, but I have run in circles my Christian life. Basically told women, just neglect your outward appearance. It doesn't matter. That's foolish. That's foolish. It does matter. But don't pursue that to the neglect of your inward spiritual beauty. That's what the Bible's teaching. Don't be ornate in your physical appearance and shallow in your spiritual life. That's what it means. It doesn't say don't braid your hair. It just says don't do it with gold. You see the difference? It's not that you just say, give caution to the wind. It doesn't matter what I look like. You say, women, but rather you say, I'm not going to be as shallow as my outward looks. Those things are fading. But the inward man is being renewed every day. So I know that as I grow spiritually, I'm more and more appealing to my Christian husband. Inward spiritual beauty, as 1 Peter 3, 3 through 5, talks about. Tenth, it means encouraging your children to respect their father. We're going to get to the roles of, a, of the children in the home. But listen, your children will almost instinctively respect their, husband, their wife if you respect your husband. And they will instinctively disrespect their father and not obey his leadership if you do the same. One of the things I've said to women in counseling is you set the spiritual he's the spiritual leader but you set the spiritual tone in your home you live a life disregarding this role that God has given you your children will disregard their role they will be unmanageable they will be rebellious so teach and train your children to respect your husband 
and their father. Eleventh, it means being thankful. Having a spirit of thankfulness. Not just assuming your husband is a provider, but thanking him for being a provider. Championing him as the provider. Supporting him. Twelfth, it means being confident in his decisions. Submission means being confident in his decisions. I spoke about that earlier. Wives, when you run to your father, when important decisions are to be made, you've run past and over your husband. Therefore, the two leave their home, mother and father, and cleave to one another and become one flesh. We'll get to the men. I know, women, this has not been the easiest, and it has hurt, maybe, and it has meddled a lot. But it's necessary because our tendency will be to be all theological, all brain-oriented, no practice. Everything you've learned in verses one, in chapters 1 through 3 is now being applied in your marriage. Every truth you learn back there is now being applied in the home. Wives, you must live out a call to be like the church in its relationship with Christ. It's not a suggestion, it's a command, and yet it's to be followed willingly. For the husband is the head of the wife. Why should I live in submission like you've talked about, Carlson? Because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is this himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. How far does this submission go? Over everything. In everything. If he's not sinning or calling you to sin, you should submit to it. So, we see in verses 23 through 24, quickly, that the Apostle Paul is giving a context for his call to wives, for wives to fulfill the role of submission. And the context is that your, your home is the picture of the gospel. The world will see the gospel through your home. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And men, though I have not to you yet, that headship we all love to talk about comes with death. We'll get there next week. In other words, God is saying that in your relationship, that a Christian husband should be leading his home through dying to himself every day, and a wife should be following that leadership by dying to herself every day. Both are dying. Nobody's getting their way. Everybody is glorifying Christ in the relationship. Some biblical submission is not the call for women to lay down and, and, and to allow their husbands to run roughshod like tyrants. It's not the call for men to live out a relationship that looks more like the world than like Christ and his church. It's the call of both parties to lay aside their wants and desires and to become one flesh under the headship, ultimately, of Christ through the husband. It's much bigger than happiness. It's much bigger than you just serving each other. What you're doing in your marriage, women, is you are preaching the gospel to the world, to your husband, to your children, to your friends, to your church, and to this community. 
There's more at stake here than just you and your family. It's the, the whole gospel witness. God's glory is on the line. God's glory is on the line. There's nothing bigger than that. And so we see that he says in this passage, Christ is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife. Both are living in sacrifice. Laying down their lives for one another. It's interesting. Christianity could be called and is often called the faith of martyrdom. Other faiths have martyrs. Other faiths have martyrs. The Muslim faith has martyrs. But no faith has more martyrdom than the church, than, than Christianity. Why? Why is that the case? Well, you can say, well, it's because it's true, but that Muslim believes he's right, and, and the others believe they're right. Why is Christianity characterized as the, as the religion of martyrdom? Because we are the only one whose head died to give us life. And the church has seen that example and lived it out every day. As a segue from here to the men. By the way, women, you got one sermon. I don't, I don't deny it was a hard one, maybe. It might have meddled a lot. Men are going to get about three. Okay, so. Same thing in Paul's text, isn't it? Did that not dawn on you? Women, submit. Be like the church. Men, be like Christ. And that means, and he gets very specific, doesn't he? So, you endured your sermon, women. I praise you for that. I pray you apply it. And you can begin by the next three weeks not wearing your husband out with an elbow. They already know the model is big. They already know the picture is hard. But because he gave his life up that we might have life, we now willingly lay down our lives that his gospel and his, his message might be preached. His glory might be extended. That's why the church is a church of martyrs. That's why the church has willingly paid blood price for their faith. Not one, not two, thousands as a matter of fact, more died in the last century than died in all other centuries combined. The church is not decreasing in martyrdom. It's rising in martyrdom. We shouldn't be surprised about that. So, this is the call to the gospel. Women, you will have to die to yourself to live in submission to your husband. And men, in the next three weeks, we're going to learn what it means to die to ourselves and love our wives as Christ loved the church. Let's pray. Father. As we close this time together in your word, we've become intimate.